Welcome to Element, the student ministry of Third City Christian Church. To find out more, go to thirdcityc.org slash students. I'm glad that you guys are here tonight. You know, being in the middle of this Rise series is right up my alley. I have told you guys how much I love calling you up to something that you might not even see in yourselves. And guys, we have two more weeks of this. And I'm excited about what God might challenge you with as an individual. I'm excited about what God might challenge you with, uh, like with your peers, because there's power in doing things together. In fact, uh, the, first, the first part of scripture I'm going to share with you guys this, uh, tonight has direct, direct connection to a group of people, of followers, doing something that likely was outside of their comfort zone. You see, Jesus left the responsibility of the church in the hands of some nobodies. He left the purpose of the church in the hands of some people that were the last picked for the soccer team, so to speak. The disciples, you guys, you need to understand that, that religious leaders of their day had overlooked all of the choices that Jesus made. All these disciples that Jesus said, hey, I want you to follow me, Jesus chose from the overlooked part of the demographic. He chose people that, like, didn't always, like, people didn't look at them and go, man, they're going to be a rock star. He took people that were willing to move and to be obedient. And there's a part of scripture in Matthew 28 at this point. Jesus had lived his ministry life. He had been crucified on a cross. He had died. He had been buried. He had been dead for three days. He rose again and had lived with his disciples for a certain amount of time. And he was getting ready to leave earth for the second time, this time to go back to heaven to be with his father. And he left this commission in the hands of nobodies. Said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have taught you. And then he mic drops and just like goes up in the clouds. And like you could just imagine these guys sitting there going, uh, what are we going to do? But here's the deal. They were obedient. They rose up to what Jesus had called them to do and what Jesus had called them to accomplish. And because of their obedience, I've said this to you before, it is why most of you are sitting here tonight. You're sitting here wondering about who this Jesus might be. Why would someone invite me to church? I've heard of Jesus. I've heard of church. But what in the world does it have to do with me 2,000 years after this man lived and died and rose again? What does that have to do with me? And we sometimes have this wrong view of Jesus, right? We have this wrong view of he was either like just a guy that lived a long time ago, there's no impact on my life, or some of you might believe that Jesus is God and he's just a really mean rule maker. And you're like, dude, that guy just keeps me from having all the fun. That's all he does. He makes lists of things. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. You need to do this. Need to do this. Need to do this. Need to do this. That is all Jesus is. But here I want to tell you tonight, students. There's more to this story. And we find it 2 Corinthians chapter 5 because the guy that wrote this letter, when we talk about the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament is letters 
uh, is letters to churches that were planted just like this. You guys, this was a church that was established in the living room of a family's home. It didn't always exist in the middle of, out here on West 13th Street, it didn't always exist in a separate building. So this is, this is a letter to a church in a city from a guy who used to make a living killing Christians, arresting Christians, having them thrown in prison. That is how he, he literally made his living. I forgot to turn my phone off. This is a good reminder if any of you guys need to turn your phones off. That is what a guy named Paul did. And he had planted this church. And this letter's purpose was to follow up with that church to encourage them to not forget why they exist. To not forget about therefore going into, going into all nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't forget your purpose. And this is what he said. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. He said, look, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. He acknowledged, he said, look, you have got to change the way that you look at people. I no longer look at you from a worldly point of view. How does the world look at people? The world looks at how people are dressed. The world looks at how people's hair is done. The world looks at what, what new or old device they are holding or what car they are driving. That is how the world evaluates. Can you perform athletically? Can you perform academically? Can you f- perform musically? That is how the world looks at people, right? Are you good looking? Because I'm going to decide whether or not I want to associate with you based on whether, whether or not you're visually appealing to me. Because the world looks at people in a shallow, shallow way. In the most shallow way is how the world looks at people. Paul is saying, we look at people this way no longer. We're looking at them differently. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Because that is what Jesus does. He is in the business of making us new. Jesus looks all the way past whatever facade you've got on. However much time, ladies, you spent putting makeup on so you would look pretty to the eye, guess what? Jesus is looking right past your hair into your heart. It does not matter to him for one second what you see in the mirror. He is looking intently on what you look like in the heart. Guys, whatever swole you think you get on in the weight room that makes you look fly, none of that matters. Jesus is looking right past your athletic performance. He is looking right past what you think is macho and good looking. And he is looking right at your heart, deciding, what do I think of the heart of this individual? He does not care for one minute what the outward appearance looks like because Scripture said God looks intently at the heart. And Paul is saying, we're going, we have got to start looking at people differently, not in the way that the world looks at them, but in the way that Jesus looks at them. All of this is from God. We're going to learn a new word tonight. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. That's the word, reconciled. You're going to hear it a whole bunch of times, and I'm going to explain what it is. All of this from God who reconciled us to himself, though Christ gave us, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world through to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. This is what reconciling is. Any of you guys taken financial literacy yet? How many of you? Loud, loud, I want to see your hands, right? Okay. So one of the biggest things that you guys do in financial literacy is you learn how to reconcile a checkbook, right? That's one of those things. So students, if you don't have a checking account yet, I'm going to let you in that when you get a checking account, what happens at the end of each month, you get a bank statement. The bank statement says, the bank says, hey, this is all the deposits that you've had going on that have come into your account. These are all those deposits. These are all the withdrawals on your account, whether it's from writing checks, using your debit card, making a withdrawal, anything like that. The bank says this is what, this is what has happened. You're supposed to reconcile it against your own records and make a comparison, and they're supposed to be the same. How many of you guys have actually done this before? That's what I thought. It's actually really important that you would do this because it's supposed to balance out. Well, the reconciliation that Paul is talking about is not a financial one. The reconciliation that he is talking about is a spiritual one. And I want to tell you that spiritually speaking, you as you sit in this room, me as I stand on this stage, you as you go home tonight are spiritually bankrupt. You have been writing more checks on your life sin-wise than you are capable of cashing. I was riding around with my oldest son this weekend, and uh, he, he explained it to me this way. He brought it up out of nowhere. He said, you know, Dad, I think I sin about twice a minute, which means maybe he has a, a, a thought about something or, he, or he's, he, he, like, does something that he, that he shouldn't do. All of those things called sin, right? Doesn't matter how, how gruesome or how ugly. He said, I think about twice a minute. He goes, I think over the course of my lifetime, it means I'm going to be 18 million in debt. And he could be about right. Have you guys ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the consequences of your actions? Because reconciliation, spiritually speaking, it speaks to this. God has a bank record of our lives. And someone has got to pay for the checks that you've been writing with the way that you've been living, the way that you treat your boyfriend, your girlfriend, what you're doing on weekends when you think no one's looking, when you're cheating on tests, lying to your parents, being selfish with your siblings. Your, your life is writing spiritual checks on an account that you can't afford to pay back. And spiritual reconciliation students is what happened on the cross. Because you are, will be 18 million in debt at the end of your life, spiritually speaking, you have no hope to pay that debt. I have a and God looks at this, and he said, I have to do something about this. And that's what 2 Corinthians is talking about. The ministry of reconciliation God is balancing out that book and making it balance out to zero through his son, Jesus. So when this verse says this, students, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us that ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he, was, he has committed to us 
the message of reconciliation. We have a responsibility of taking this message of reconciliation and giving hope to the people next to us. Which leads us to this, this last verse. That is the challenge for tonight. We talked about rise to lead, rise to follow. Tonight is rise to reach. He has called us to therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. He has called us to wrap our arms around that ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 20, he says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. It's like God is making his request through us. How powerful is that? And this is what an ambassador is. You guys might hear this, like, politically speaking. What an ambassador is, is when, like, the United States, we'll use Kenya, for example, because Parker was talking about being an ambassador for Christ to Kenya. Well, the United States has ambassadors that live in Nairobi, Kenya. Their purpose is to literally establish this little, like, compound that is kind of U.S. soil in Nairobi, Kenya. If you walk onto that property, it's U.S. law, U.S. culture, uh, U.S. language, all of that stuff. But you're in a foreign country. It's like totally weird. It's like I could be right here on this little mat. I'm in Nairobi, Kenya. I step here. I'm in a U.S. embassy, and there's ambassadors around me. It's like U.S. soil. But when the Bible says we're to be ambassadors for Christ, I want you to think about that connection because it means that God is calling us to be representatives of his kingdom in a foreign land. So to really hammer this home, I want you to watch this video that we have from Kenya and we're going to hear from Parker. Well, this week has been a challenge, um, a lot of uncomfortable situations, and it was something I was praying about before I left that God would help me in those. And so one in particular is I got put into a prayer room, which was not my most favorite thing to do. Um, but in those moments when people were opening up and asking for prayer about specific things, God gave me words that I didn't even know that I could speak, um, and I didn't even know were coming out, to be honest with you. And so I think what I have learned about myself is I need to have more trust in God that he will provide for me at any time, in any situation. Um, and not worry about trying to me fix it as a human but just trust him with that coming here was a challenge leaving work leaving my family I wanted them to know as a woman that my identity was in God so I said I was a woman of God and I think I just need to make sure that I'm sharing my story not only within my community at church but break down those walls and make sure I'm sharing it with people outside church I think one thing for me that I'm learning about myself is that I can do hard things. I can come across the world. I can serve um, God no matter where I am, but he can allow me to do great things and hard things. Seek out joy, love one another, and remove the things that keep you distracted from being present and being relational and being intentional with people encourage you to be, dream big dreams with God because God will come through but he wants us to have the faith to dream big with him. 
come at life with a love unlimited perspective and a perspective that God would want you to have. I've learned that I probably need to spend more time loving on others. Uh, not only does it make them feel good, but it makes me feel good. No matter where you're at, show that love and kindness towards others um, and spread the word of God. So one thing you'll notice is that our friend Parker wasn't in any of these photos because he was taking all the photos. Anybody uh, in their friend group always the camera person? Yeah. Got a few And everyone's people. always like, why do you always have your camera out? And then they're the, always the ones that are texting you afterwards like, hey, can I have that pic? <laughs> <laughs> you know. So Parker, I want to ask you some questions about being in Kenya. Please. What, can you share with us like some of your uh, maybe things that you were anxious about prior to going? Yeah, totally. So I, um, I actually slammed the door shut when it came to being um, even considering going to Kenya. And um, I just said, that's too risky. And honestly, I kind of felt like that's just for someone else to do. You know how when we kind of like challenge you on Wednesday nights and we say like, you should be kind to someone. You're like, well, someone else will do that. So I don't have to do that. And I think I kind of felt that way until God really called me out during a quiet time. Like I was having this moment with the Lord and um, I knew he was calling me out to go to Africa. And it was this opportunity for me to be obedient to that call because I had the option to continue to ignore it and live with the anxiety that that brought me or to be obedient and step into what God had for me. You said something like four years ago, we've been working together for like a decade almost, I think, that um, it's profound, but it's so simple. You said, I think God's love language is obedience. And I've always remembered that to the best way that I can serve God is to step into the ways that he's trying to serve me. And so um, it, was, it was all about the risk. I'm not a risk taker. I'm, I'm not one that uh, uh, gets out of my comfort zone too often. I calculate the uh, pro-con list and, the, and uh, the, you know, the return for my input and all that stuff. So it was the risk for sure. So I think, I think you would, like on the other side of this, it's really easy to go, man, this was totally necessary for me spiritually. Like, how would you answer that question? Like, why was this necessary for Parker Lowry to go to Nairobi, Kenya? Right. Um, I think, when I, and when I'm talking about risk, I'm talking about I'm going to a country that, I, I mean, I'm going to a continent that I've never been to. I've never left the country, and I'm leading a team of 24 people who most of them are older than me besides Eri. And what are you, like 15? Um, and so, <laughs> I think she is. Um, and, and so the risk of going and stepping into something that I don't know, I've never done it, and to be in a place that I've never been was so scary. But um, I got to talk to you guys, I think it was like three or four weeks ago about stepping out of the boat when we started this whole Rise series. And I really meant it when I felt like, and that was before I went to Africa, and I told you I felt like I was finally stepping out onto the water for the first time. I've been following Jesus for like eight or nine years, I think. Um, and this might've been the riskiest thing I've ever done with my faith where I was completely out of control and trusting the Lord to provide in places that I didn't even know how to lead or how to, how to connect, you know? So, so I asked you to think about your definition of loving people. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we, when we jump into a different culture, sometimes that definition will change. Sometimes it won't. Has your definition of loving people changed after being in Nairobi? The answer is yes and no. So the, what it means to love people didn't change because um, it turns out people on the other side of the planet smile, laugh at jokes, and um, love friendship just as much as we do. And so loving people there was very natural and very easy. 
But I would say it changed because it was so healthy for me to understand a different culture, get to know them, and then step into their culture and experience it with them. I think as uh, like a Central American, like Central Nebraskan, um, I, I live in such a bubble that I don't consider other people's ways of life or I don't consider other people's stories. Um, and this really forced me to step into the story that was happening in Kenya and, and be with those people. So tell me about one, one situation that you feel like, I, I didn't give you this in advance, that's so okay. we run the risk of a Reed, Reed Bilby situation. Oh, that's a really hard question. That's what Reed did to me. Yeah. But he had the question in advance when yeah. he did that. Yeah. Uh, what is one situation that you stepped into someone's story that you were like hearing this story made a ton of difference for me? Mm. Can you think of one of those? Yeah, so we, uh, we went on a home visit. So we were in the slums of Nairobi. There's like a million people that live in like a square mile or something like that. It's like a crazy stat. They build their houses out of um, tin shanty and they're actually rented. And um, it's just material poverty. They weren't, they weren't poor in terms of spirit. They weren't poor in terms of relationships. Um, but there was material poverty. And we went into this one lady's home and it was seriously um, maybe half the size of the drum riser stage right there and five to 11 people lived in that. And we sat down and this lady had uh, breast cancer and, and a cyst had ruptured on her chest and she had this wound and it was just like jarring to see. Um, but she said, the, um, I, I love uh, relationships with people so much. The, the church that I was going to um, doesn't, like they had some sort of falling out and they didn't have that conversation anymore. But uh, here was Missions of Hope International that were coming to her and praying with her and bringing people like me to come be by her side and pray with her as well. And it was so out of my comfort zone. I mean, I'm praying for a woman through a translator, like hoping the message gets across. And I open my eyes and she's smiling at me. And, and so it was like, it was like um, even though uh, the church isn't perfect and people aren't perfect, um, when you really lean into love unlimited and just trust God in those moments, love can be communicated even in a different language, even in a smile, even in a, um, a translation. So I think, I think stepping into that culture and understanding the relationships are so important uh, really changed the way that I see the relationships that I have here too. Dude, so glad you went. Yeah, I'm really glad too. All right, leave my stage. Okay, bye. <laughs> I want... I want you guys to hear this. Sometimes we think that we have to do something like get to the other side of the continent to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And that is what God is calling you to. God is calling you to simply engage and step into people's stories. He's calling you to do something. And he's calling all of us because that command, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, the, the therefore go piece, some translations translate better that as you go. And some of you heard this on Sunday morning. It, it, is, it would be creepy for me to step into your band rooms, your show choir rooms, your athletic rooms, your classrooms. They're like, what is the 41-year-old guy doing here? I can't step into your lunch rooms without people going like this and going, who's the old guy? God is calling you as you go to be an ambassador of love unlimited to the people around you, to engage with their stories, 
to quit looking at the outward appearance and to step into the ministry of reconciliation and to go, man, I want to tell you about hope that is found in Jesus Christ. He is calling us all to do that as you go. And so what, what I want to challenge you guys to tonight is very, very simple. There's three questions that you're needing to ponder that you need to consider as we continue to worship and as you go into your small groups tonight. The first one is this. Do you need to change the way that you see Jesus or the way that you see the world around you? Are you one of those people that, that looks past people simply because of their social status? I can't associate with them. They are not popular enough to get any bit of my time. I can't give them even a, a moment of my effort because they can't do this or they can't do that or they're not a part of this group. Do you need to start looking at people and recognizing, like Parker said, there are stories that I need to step into? And do you need to listen? Do you need to look at Jesus differently because some of you guys are looking at Christ as if he's a list maker that is just pointing fingers at you saying, do it right, do it different, do it now, do this way, that way. Dude, Jesus just wants to love and forgive you. He is not casting judgment and pointing a finger. Is that what you need? Or maybe you need to reconcile your life to Jesus. Some of you in this room have a long laundry list of sin that you've never allowed Jesus to deal with. And I want to tell you right now that you need Jesus to deal with that sin. He is the only one that can reconcile that checkbook that God is holding, and he reconciles it completely. Complete reconciliation. Some of you need to step into that and make peace with God. Some of you need to own the ministry of reconciliation. Those of you that have reconciled your life to God, and you've only kept that to yourself, Selfishly, you need to share that with the people next to you. With the people that you go to school with, the people that you work with, the people inside your home, your siblings, your parents, your uncles, your grandparents. You need to quit thinking that you're too young to share the glory of the ministry of reconciliation and start talking to people and go, hey, let me tell you about some hope that I have that I think you need. So do you need to deal with the ministry of reconciliation? That's the second one. Third one is this. And students, this is the one. Rise to reach. Have you owned the role of an ambassador of Love Unlimited? I'm not telling you. Some of you guys may be preaching sermons someday, but all I'm saying is that God is asking you to be an ambassador of love unlimited, love the way that God would love, compassionately, completely, non-judgmentally. Would you be an ambassador of that simply? Like everywhere you go, right? There's like a, there's a, there's a 10 foot circle around you that anybody that would encounter you that would step into your, your bubble would all of a sudden be experiencing God's love in an unlimited fashion, God's compassion, God's kindness. It's that simple. I'm not even asking you to preach a sermon or get a Bible out. I'm just saying, love people. 
earn the right to be heard. Then you may get the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Simply love them with compassion. You don't have to go to Kenya to do that. You can do that up and down your hallways tomorrow, and it would be so foreign. It would be so weird for your peers to go, man, every time I run into Joe, man, that's a great experience. That dude just loves people. Every time, every time I come into contact with Hannah, she makes my day better. It is crazy. And they go, yeah, it's always that way with her. Students, have you owned the role of being an ambassador for God's kingdom as if his plea to humanity was being made through you? How far would the gospel get if you were the only person proclaiming it through the way that you live, being an ambassador for God's kingdom? How far would that gospel get? Would it find its way to your classrooms, to your living rooms, to your parties on Friday? Would it get there? Students, Jesus called uncommon people to rise to great things. He is calling you to rise to reach. Be ambassador of Love Unlimited. Father God, I pray for the students in this room. Lord, I know that there are students that need to make peace with you. Father, they have not reconciled their lives and their, their sin is out of balance in your book. And Father, there should be a level of, of conviction that comes with that knowledge. They should feel that conviction. But Father, at the same time, I want them to know that you have made a way for them to reconcile that account. And it's only through Jesus. There's no amount of good works they can do to balance that out. It is only through Jesus. So, Father, I pray for those students right now that are wrestling with that. Now, Father, I pray for the students that have already reconciled their lives to you, that, Father, have been reluctant to be ambassadors of your love. Father, I pray that you lead them in love to the people around them in their lives because, Lord God, you know that I cannot be there to proclaim Jesus in those moments. But, Father, you have placed them in those places for those moments. You have led them there to be with those people, to simply love in the way you would love. Father, help them to embrace being an ambassador of love unlimited of the ministry of reconciliation of you have called us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining Element. To find out more, go to thirdcityc.org slash students.